From between the hedges at Sanford Stadium to the practice fields, from Stegman Coliseum and wherever else the Bulldogs are playing, it's time to talk Georgia sports. From the Athens Banner Herald, here are your hosts, Mark Weiser and Ryan Dennis. Hey, welcome in. It's another edition of the Bulldogs Extra Podcast. It's Mark Weiser with Ron Dennis, the Athens Banner Herald, and it's another Georgia home game week for your number two Bulldogs. Ryan, what if I told you that JT Daniels wouldn't play last week and Georgia would walk off the field with the 56-7 win over UAB? Is this a 30-for-30 30 30 special? <laughs> what if I told you that Is the that mailman they, would do, deliver again? Do they still do that? Uh, I think they do some 30-and-30s, but, you know, I, I, I think it was a lot of unique scenarios last week you know you have Carson Beck who's your presumed number two guy you know throughout the spring into the fall and let's go Stetson Bennett he's had the experience and lo and behold not only does Stetson Bennett come out there and you know not stink it up I mean he sets UGA records or at least ties them I mean that was you know as good as this Zeb Nolan story I'm sure we'll talk a little more about Zeb later in the podcast Oconee County grad I mean, Stetson's story is about as about as good as, and, and you wrote about it today, about as good as uh, that story. Just how he comes out and, you know, no slowing down, five touchdown passes, and uh, just a remarkable game for him. Wait, so did you have such a low bar that you said he he didn't stink it up? That that was all he needed to? Well, I didn't want to call Carson out, but he didn't exactly move the uh, needle much when he was in the game, so... Yeah, I did do a story on, on Zeb and, and, and Stetson today. I mean, I think I almost give the edge to Zeb Nolan because if you're a grad assistant, yeah. you pretty much hung up the cleats and then they, they call on you to... What if I told you? <laughs> I mean, just to like put him on the active roster, let alone start a couple right. of games. But, but Stetson certainly made it look easy. Uh, every throw seemed to be a touchdown almost. I mean, obviously he had uh, like seven that were not. But I mean, early on, what was it? Four out of his first five throws were touchdowns? Yeah, and, and what, three for 60-plus yards? I mean, and, and let's... Let's give lack of credit where it's due, I guess. I mean, it, he had some wide open guys. You know, Brock Bowers wide open. Speaking of Brock Bowers, man, didn't know he had those jets going down the sideline. Uh, Jermaine Burton pretty much, you know, wide open. And uh, who did, was it, uh, AD? Who did he drop that third touchdown into? And he was wide open, uh, you know, kind of on the right side in front of Georgia Banks. Arian, so. Arian Smith. Yeah, Arian Smith, thank you. Uh, you know, it, it, so it was almost like, you know, Todd Munkin's offense had these plays perfectly designed so he could just – throw it where he needed to for his receivers to catch it. But, I mean, still to have the poise and confidence to come out there was uh, was pretty remarkable. UAB came into this game with a well-respected defensive reputation, you know, on that level. Um, but as you mentioned, I mean, I guess give some credit to, to Munkin for, for dialing up these plays. But it also, you know, it wasn't so much throwing balls in tight windows, as you mentioned. These guys were wide open. Uh, you know, like you're talking about four or five, six yards uh, away from any other defender. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, if you look at it, I mean, you talked about it and, and give uh, credit to Stetson for some of these play fakes. I mean, he fakes it to Zamir, safety bites, Jermaine Burton runs by him, you know, like I said, four or five yards. Uh, it was a fake on a pitch to, to James Cook. Uh, 
DB on UAB was drawn in, and and then Bowers on the wheel route uh-huh. was so wide open on the sideline, nobody near him, and then he takes it 88 yards and and living up to the hype of what you know the buzz that came with him in the spring. I mean, that was the most impressive part of that was his wheels, man. You know, it was the, the old days of, uh, and I'm not comparing Brock Bowers to Herschel by any means, but you know, the the fender would have the angle on Herschel going toward the sideline, and then Herschel would outrun him. That's kind of what that reminded me of the other day when Brock is going down the sideline there and. The UAB safety had the angle, but he wasn't catching him, man. And, uh, you know, that was impressive. I think it was the fifth touchdown pass, I think, was to Bowers there on a little curl route or something in the end zone. And I actually, uh, uh, you know, former Georgia player Aaron Murray, I saw him break that down. It was kind of neat how Todd Munkin drew up this perfect play to, you know, send, I think, Cook out of the backfield and two receivers. One went a post, one went a, uh, you know, a, a corner route and then just stopped and turned and he was wide open. Uh, so that might have been the hard decision that that Stetson had to make on Saturday was to hit you know the the guy perfectly on the on the little curl route there in the end zone but uh you know it was again I, I, as much as we give credit to Stetson who had an incredible game I think you're right that Todd Munkin just uh after that first game wanted to get things right and he, he sure did with the Arian Smith 61 yard touchdown I mean on that play you know give credit I presume to just Smith's wheels and and his yeah. his. Somebody did it, you know, an NCAA track on the relay team. Uh, Bennett st- did stay in the pocket on the play, took some pressure bearing down on him, and, and Smith was five yards ahead of the uh, the uh, UAB safety Damon Miller. So uh, look, I mean, if you can get one of those kind of sixty plus plays a game, uh, <laughs> you know, you're feeling good about creating explosive plays. To, but to get three of them. Um, you know, the bar is kind of high now against South Carolina in terms of Georgia keeping up this explosiveness. They went from nothing against Clemson, anything over 22 yards. And, you know, I guess let, let the, that kind of opens the window to talk about JT Daniels in terms of his injury and why, you know, that may have contributed. Uh, you know, Clemson obviously dropped seven guys, uh, you know, yeah. in the coverage, didn't didn't blitz, uh, throw up the exotic stuff like like Georgia thought. But uh, I asked Kirby Smart yesterday on the media Zoom at, at uh, lunchtime, you know, when this injury happened and, um, you know, how they're kind of approaching it now. And he said that, uh, you know, this was something that, presented itself you know prior to the Clemson game and then took a shot that they weren't sure but they think it, it happened on the first offensive uh, time when he dropped back against Clemson and so I went you know after we got off that I'm writing up the, this quick story to put online I went back and put up on the DVR that play and sure enough he did take a shot a uh, guy went right up the middle uh, Clemson linebacker and popped him um, so and he had had some soreness right coming into the game yeah yeah but so. uh you know, Kirby said that exacerbated it, and so we'll see. I mean, we'll 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 learn. Um, you know, uh, Kirby said he had improved. Uh, you know, with a couple of things of treatment on, I guess Sunday, Monday. But you know, we're not playing. You know, we're not talking about an Alabama game this week. We're talking right. about South Carolina. Georgia's thirty point uh, plus mm. uh, favorite. So, um, you know. I mean, no sense in rushing Daniels back. I mean, I'm sure Daniels, though, uh, is anxious to get back. I mean, he's only got so many opportunities to to play football at Georgia. Um, You know, he worked all offseason to to be the guy and to play. So uh, how do you think this shakes out now? Um, Do you think that, um, you know, let Stetson, you know, do what Stetson did again and, and get, 
Daniel's ready for, if not Vanderbilt, which, you know, is, is a week after this, or an Arkansas team now in the top 25 that will be coming into Athens. I, you know, they have a tough game against Texas A&M. I think it's next week, so they might have a loss on their ledger by then. But how do you approach this? Well, it's funny. I was rewatching the game uh, yesterday and, and listening to Robert Griffin uh, do the commentary, and he said, you know, Georgia has a quarterback battle on their hands. And I'm thinking, nah, let's slow down on this a little bit, right? Because, I mean, if JT is 100% healthy, I think they're going to play him. You know, I don't think there's. You know, I mean, but when you say 100, percent he's not going to be 100. percent I get it. Yeah. I mean, he, he. But I think if 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 he's, I don't know. If he Look, if he, he feels comfortable enough to play, he's going to be the guy no matter what. And you know, there's there's no thing there's no situation where it's like JT or Stetson. They're both equal. You know, health here. Let's throw uh, right. Stetson in there because he had such a good Look, game. Look, I'm looking at the Georgia schedule as I just pulled up. And if you want JT to be at optimal health for, you know, what looks like the toughest stretch run, South Carolina and Vanderbilt is not the toughest stretch run. How about this uh, four-game stretch? Okay. Arkansas at Auburn. Mm -hmm. Now, we'll see what Auburn does against Penn State this week. Coming home against Kentucky, just beat Missouri. And then going, you have a week off and then play Florida in Jacksonville. So, uh, I mean... Rather than have him take another shot against South Carolina, you know, I mean, he's kind of a target now. I mean, these these uh, pass rushers are going to want to take their shots on him. Um, you know, why not get him as geared up as 100% as possible for, you know, now you can you can play him a series or two. I mean, I don't know. Well, it'll depend on how he looks in practice, but he's not taking hits in practice. Of course not. They never do. But I think that, you know, if he's – uh, you know, if, if he's of reasonable health to go out there, I think that he's going to be your guy. Now, uh, you know, what happens if Stetson does get to start and then start struggling? Do you bring him in then? I mean, it's, uh, you know. I yeah, I mean, I think I think if anything, he'll be, you know, available. I think he was – I know he was clear to play this week, they said. So it's not a matter of that. And I was watching him on the sideline, you know, throwing balls. The pregame, he was throwing some balls and, you know, looked fine. But – I, I just I just feel like he's uh, he's gonna play and he's gonna um, you know be be your guy uh, you know and 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 hopefully you can avoid any you know more injury to to his side but I, I see where you're coming from too I mean if you know Georgia should handily beat the next two opponents and. Uh, you know, you don't need your top guy to do that. So, hey, we we, uh, we forgot to mention at the top of the show. We're about to have uh, Corey Diaz of the Greenville News covers the Gamecocks joining us. But I want to wrap up with the quarterbacks. Uh, let's talk about Carson Beck, and then let's talk about Kirby's decision on this. Uh, the plan was to give uh, Stetson uh, every two possessions, and then bring in Carson for the third. And I guess they only went. Uh, that only happened like two rotations because by the eighth series of the game, it was forty-two nothing yeah. Georgia, and I think then that's when Stetson might have sat down. Um, yeah, because then it was a, a Justin Robinson touchdown pass from Carson Beck, but um, not a great showing for Carson Beck. I mean, he I don't think he helped himself, and certainly when you compared, it was just the lights out deal for for Stetson Bennett. Uh, he had his his uh, you know bright moments and also had some not so bright moments. I mean, you know, his first series they just handed the ball off three times. Uh, that was unfair to him. Yeah, it really was, and uh, three and out, and then you know, hey, well, bring Stetson back in, but you know, there's nothing that Carson could have done in that. Yeah. Um, the, the next time he came in, he went deep for Aaron Smith. It was a, a, a pass breakup kind of into coverage. Um, and then when he came out um, the next time, um, 
was the became 42 nothing uh that's when the Justin Robinson touchdown pass uh he had a nice throw to uh AD Mitchell on the sideline um pass interference on on the UAB player and and uh you know did his play fake well uh to Kenny McIntosh hit the wide open Justin Robinson over the middle for the touchdown um but then you know you got to talk about later in the game the, the pick, pick six, six yeah. yeah that was uh you know, he, he almost threw it too fast. I think Dejon Edwards was the running back coming out of the backfield, and he tried to drop it down to him. and He just wasn't looking, and it went right over his head and into the DB's arms and nobody around. So I wrote this uh, as my Sunday morning story, uh, which is, you know, give credit to Kirby Smart for this call uh, because the easy call, the popular call, would have been to to give it to Carson Beck because he had been your number two in the preseason, had a good G-Day game, mm-hmm. um, and Stetson Bennett had his chance. And, um, you know, when we last saw him, Georgia was losing to Florida and Bennett was uh, beaten up uh, with a shoulder injury. And then, you know, I guess he came in, was it the bowl game for a play when the helmet came off Daniels maybe? Mm-hmm. But, you know, you thought his his uh, time uh, at Georgia was uh, back to being a backup, uh, maybe even third or fourth in the depth chart. Um, and uh, Kirby saw enough in practice and decided because of the young guys on offense and not having their weapons around that they wanted the, the uh, experience and uh, – uh, the steadiness that he thought Stetson Bennett brought, and uh, kudos to Kirby for getting that right because the Justin Fields thing still comes up. Mm-hmm. The why did JT Daniels sit for the first six games still comes up, or did come up, uh, you know, still in the offseason. Um, and, you know, maybe you can say, I mean, my question would be regarding JT Daniels is, why not have him ready to play against Florida if it didn't work out for, for yeah. Bennett? And they went yeah. with Mathis, and that didn't work out either. Yeah. And uh, I didn't check again, but Mathis started for Temple his first game and, and had some really bad numbers and mm-hmm. I believe was replaced in the second game as the starter. Well, that offers a question, how long is, is, is Carson Beck going to be around? I mean, is this a situation where he's like, yeah, you know what, if, if Stetson's starting over me again and having big games and knowing what's behind him, in this day and age of uh, transfer portal, yeah, I mean Stetson. We'll see what happens. Stetson, um, like everyone, got an extra year of eligibility, so I believe he can come back next year and play. But you know, you have uh, Brock Vandegrift, uh, it waiting in the wings. You have uh, the five-star recruit coming yeah, in, Gunnar Stockton. Gunnar coming Stockton. In from Raven. Uh, you know, we'll see with JT Daniels. I mean, the presumption is he's going to the NFL, but mm-hmm. you know, I've seen some top fifty lists where he's not on there, and he hadn't done anything this season to help his stock. Uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, quarterbacks, as always, at Georgia will be interesting. And, yeah, I mean, I can't blame Carson if he looks at after this season that, you know, it's going to be uh, hard to get a path. But, look, he's he's still – I mean, he's played one game, really. Mm-hmm. And so uh, there will be opportunities. I don't expect – he was – Kirby was asked on um, yesterday, mm-hmm. Monday. We're recording this Tuesday morning, by the way, in case I haven't said that. Mm-hmm. Um whether they'd be do the same kind of rotation and, and Kirby was kind of noncommittal. I mean, I don't anticipate that they will do that Not again. against uh, South Carolina, right? Well, I mean, SEC. I don't know if South Carolina is a better team than UAB or Ooh. not. Uh, I mean, I, I, they're better than the UAB team we saw this Saturday. That yeah. team was not good. Uh, Georgia was very good. Um, but, I mean, before the game, UAB was getting votes in the AP poll and, and South Carolina was yeah, not. Who they beat 31 nothing to open the season? They beat Jacksonville State. Who beat FSU. Who beat FSU. Right. And uh, all right, let's uh, let's bring on our guests uh, to talk Gamecocks. All right, let's talk a little bit uh, more about this Georgia-South Carolina game. We're going to bring on Gamecocks beat writer for the Greenville News, uh, Corey Diaz. Corey, uh, thanks for being with us. 
Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Uh, looking forward to looking forward to breaking this matchup down with you guys. All right, Corey, I think you've been in Columbia for a couple, few months. Uh, what, what is your sense of the level of enthusiasm for this team and kind of the hire of Shane Beamer? I, you know, Mark, I would say it's from from every encounter that I've had with you know a, a South Carolina Gamecock supporter. Um, alumni, even even people, even support staff and, and people in those types of positions, you know, within the football facility building itself, uh, there's there's a, just a level of uh, of energy that, that Shane has brought in to this football program that a lot of people have said that it hasn't been around the, the university, it hasn't been around you know, just in that small corner of the of campus where the where the football facility building and the football program is located, and as well around the city of, of Columbia as well. Uh, it's been, you know, obviously I can't personally attest to, um, you know, kind of how the last coaching staff and, and its reign here uh, came to an end. Obviously, from the outside, you, you know, you hear certainly a lot of different stories and a lot of different accounts of of just how much that that waned on on this you know fan base uh just the program itself um but from what i've just personally seen uh, just having been here with shane uh, in a couple months that i've been on this beat it's been you know the, the the phrase i keep hearing is breath of fresh air um you know one one particular instance that comes to my mind is uh the you know after the first practice where uh, Zeb Nolan, who, who was a, a graduate assistant receivers coach, who joined the football team as a, as a quarterback after the injury that Luke that Luke Doty sustained uh, right before the first team scrimmage of fall camp. You know, Shane didn't have to come into the the post practice press conference. We were we were not scheduled to speak with him that day, but he 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 took the onus upon himself to come in and, and basically just spell out the entire situation for us, and that was a that was a situation that I don't think of, you know, a lot of us in our position as beat writers, uh, a lot of position that these fans are in, uh, especially when you talk about, you know, Will Muschamp being here and, and how, you know, closed off he was as it pertained to, you know, accessibility and things of that nature. So just the transparency, man, it has been huge. And I think the, the, the fan base has really sort of latched on to, to not only that, but just how much he, you know, continually says he, you know, this is the place that he wanted to be. Uh, how he carries himself and, and how much he's really sort of in, injected his own personality and his own energy and enthusiasm into not only the football players, but everyone else around the football team and the fan base as well. You you mentioned Zeb Nolan. Of course, he's a local guy to us here right down the road in Oconee County, and uh, Dad's the football coach for Oconee County. But, I mean, what a story that is, and uh, you get to talk to, to Zeb from time to time. I mean, I think the joke is that it's a 30-for-30, 30 30, you know, type of story. What, what type of vibes have you gotten from Zeb on just this whole situation and how it's gone down and, I guess, the opportunity he's been given as a, as a six-year guy, you know, and, and when he wasn't even expected to put on a uniform again? Sure, I, I think I think you guys would, you know, obviously agree with those, you know, kind of assessments of what the situation has been like. Uh, you know, it was a, a story that immediately gained uh, national attention. Um, you know, and there was some talk initially about this kind of situation just being a a, a novelty 
decision, a novelty idea to just sort of get more eyes on, on South Carolina's football program and, and to get it uh, into the, the, the circulation of, of people talking uh, when they talk college football around the country. And, but I think, I think those, those notions were, were pretty quickly uh, squashed. Um, you know, they, they were thin at quarterback, you know, before Luke went down with a, with the sprained foot. Um, and just so happened that they had a guy, they had a guy as a graduate assistant on staff that, that, you know, thanks to, you know, the, the extra COVID year that the NCAA, uh, gave all of the student athletes that he had an extra year of eligibility. And, you know, this is a guy that, you know, played in a, in an FCS semifinal game, uh, with North Dakota State, uh, in May. And, you know, they lost that game at Sam Houston State. And, uh, you know, he tells the story about, you know, after that game, you know, he, when he looked down and they cut his tape off his wrist, he thought it was going to be the last time he was ever going to be doing that. And, you know, he's always wanted to, he's always wanted to be a coach. He's wanted to follow in his dad Travis's footsteps, uh, for a very long time. You know, he's, he's a coach's son, obviously grew up in the household with a coach, a, a very successful one at that. And, uh, you know, that, that, that still continues to be his, uh, post football aspirations. But when, when you talk to Zeb, after he's been afforded this opportunity, then this even, you know, obviously predates starting the first two games of the year for South Carolina. You, you just, he's one of the more, uh, grateful and appreciative, uh, college football players that I've, that I've had the opportunity to spend some time around when he, when he speaks on the opportunity, you can just tell that, you know, he, he's literally approaching every day, whether it's practice or going out there and playing in a football game that, you know, he it was a, it was a situation and an opportunity that he never he never foresaw for himself coming again, and so he's just so appreciative of this opportunity. And um, you know, he he still just he still approaches the situation as he might not be the starter when game day does roll around each and every week. But if he is, he, he's super grateful. And if it turns out that he's not going to be that guy that that takes that first snap of a game, his objective is still to be within that quarterback room. He he far and away the most experienced guy in there and he wants to positively affect this football program and leave leave some kind of positive and impactful legacy uh when his short stint uh as a player is over and you know i fully expect you know after this year you know whether or not south carolina goes to a bowl game or not or or, or what the what the end game will be i think he'll i think he'll remain here and he'll he'll probably retake some ga position on staff and, and will still be here in columbia so he'll still have an opportunity to to positively affect this program but right now as a football player and as the quarterback you know he i think he really sees an opportunity to uh to help a lot of really young guys along you mentioned he kind of goes in every game you know not sure if he's gonna be the one to get the snap and that kind of thing but I guess the Gamecocks practice Sunday night off Monday, and then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you'll get with Shane Beamer later today. What's your guess just from the standpoint of, I guess, maybe seeing Luke Doty in pregame last week and then knowing that Georgia's got a swarming defense and you probably need to be as close to 100% as you can. Uh, do you think it's going to be uh, – how are they going to handle these quarterbacks this uh, week? What's your what's your guess early, early in the week? Yeah, that's you know, that's a – I guess that's kind of the biggest looming question around uh, the South Carolina football team right now this week is, you know, what 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 is this week going to look like as it as it pertains to uh, you know divvying up the reps in practice, um, you know, between Zeb and between Luke and um, you know, right now we you know the the team will 
I think they start practice here and, and literally in just a couple of minutes um, as you as you guys and I are talking and uh, we'll get with we'll get with Shane a little later this afternoon we'll talk to a couple of players before uh, we get to speak with him and um, you know my 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 initial gut sense is that if if Luke cannot uh, use his legs as we've all come to know him to be able to use them uh, as it pertains to his game and how he plays it at that quarterback spot. I, I, I don't think that, you know, Shane and, and offense coordinator Marcus Satterfield, uh, I don't think that they would run Luke out there if he is, if it is not 100% clear that he is 100% healthy and ready and, and completely ready to go. Because as you mentioned, I mean, I think you can make the the argument that Georgia's probably got the best defensive line in college football, and and you know, and even front seven is, has got to be top two or three in the country, and 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 these and this is not anything new. This not certainly is not a new development. I mean, Georgia's been doing this for for years and years now, and so you know, and and South Carolina too has had some struggles up front along the offensive line through the first two games, um, you know, whether it be with, you know, getting confused on blitz packages and, and, and not picking up the right guy and and really just not getting a, a great push, uh, even in the run game. And so to, to put a guy out there that maybe is 80% healthy with, with, a, you know, with a hurt foot, uh, I don't think that would be a, a really good business decision to make. Um <laughs> So Luke's, so Luke's going to have to be able to prove it in practice over these next three days, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Shane even mentioned it in our teleconference with him Sunday night that, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday this week is going to be really critical for him in the sense of, you know, where, they, where they're going to know where he is come Saturday and whether or not he's going to be able to play. You know, the thing that he's been battling right now is, is you know, his, his foot being sore and stiffening up just after a few plays in practice. And so, I mean, if he can only if he can only run a handful of plays and, and then start to feel that that stiffness and that soreness, then then not, that's that's not 100% healthy, and that's not a good sign. And and you know, if you've got an offensive line that's that's struggling to to protect you, uh, you know, that could be a recipe for for disaster. Uh, I know that the line came out a couple nights ago, and it was a 32-point favorite, I think, for Georgia. But, hey, a couple years ago might have been the upset of the year when, when South Carolina came in here and I think intercepted Jake Fromm three or four times. And uh, Is there a sense that they could shock the world again at all, or are they just hoping to come in here and survive? <laughs> oh, great question. Um, I, I personally think that, you know, this – this has got to be a, a game for South Carolina, which you know I, I think when the when the clock's at zero on Saturday night, if, if they can if they can come out of Sanford Stadium, um, you know, as healthy as possible, and and um, you know, and if they're competitive on the field, like it would not be a good look um, for this football program to you know go out there and lose by 40, 44, 45 points. Uh, I think I think it'd be highly beneficial for. For Shane and his staff in their first year to uh, show signs of improvement each and every week, and and you know for them this week as it pertains to you know having to play Georgia, you know it, it's you know you can't you can't lose it. You know um, I, I think I think covering that spread would would be 
would be uh, weirdly a step in the in the right direction. Um, you know, this. You know, everyone knows that. You know, when you talk about talent gap and things of that nature, I mean, that's clearly there between these two programs. You know, when when Will got fired, you know, uh, before the end of the season last year, I mean, there were there were guys that opted out of the remainder of the season. There were guys that you know entered into the transfer portal and left the program and. Uh, you know, and for Shane and his staff, you know, getting getting hired in December and him assembling his staff, you know, by the end of the or by the beginning of the new year, and, and I mean, they they had to hit the ground running, you know, with with finding a lot of guys to to fill these spots with, and, and they found a lot of really good really good recruits, had a lot of guys, you know, some transfers and things of that nature come into the program who have all, who have already just through two games this year uh, have been you know really big contributors for this football program so far. Uh, so you, you've got to, you've got to give this fan base, you know, something to believe in. And this Georgia game, oddly enough, I think is a is a great potential sounding board for for Shane and his staff to do so. Again, it's all about showing that improvement. And and as long as you don't get, you know, your doors blown off, you know, in Athens, and and you know, at the end of the game. If they go, hey, you know what? We were we were in that game for three and a half quarters. We were in that game for three quarters. We did some really good things. We took care of the football. We didn't beat ourselves. Uh, we just got beat by a better team. I, I think that'd be a, a lot, a hell of a lot easier pill uh, for the South Carolina fans to swallow. All right, last thing, Corey, we're going to let you go is uh, not really uh, about football, but important if you're covering the Gamecocks, which is where, where do you stand on on Hootie and the Blowfish? Are, are you are you a big fan? Are you are you learning to like them? <laughs> you know what? That's uh, I'm, I'm I'm a little disappointed in, in everyone that I that I've talked to so far since I've moved to Columbia a couple of months ago. That's actually the first time I've been asked that question. So so great job, Mark. Um, how about this? My first. My first ever concert was my junior year of high school. Uh, I grew up just right outside of Montgomery, Alabama. And uh, every year, the city of Montgomery during the summer had this, um, had this music festival called Jubilee City Fest. And my junior year of high school, Hootie and the Blowfish, uh, was one of the headliners uh, that, that summer. And actually my first ever concert was, was going to the Hootie and the Blowfish <laughs> show in, Mon- in downtown Montgomery, Alabama. And still to this day, and I've probably been to, you know, probably over 150 concerts wow. since, uh, that's still one of the best live shows I've seen. So I am a Hootie and the Blowfish fan. That's so awesome. maybe, <laughs> so maybe that'll endear some of the, some of the <laughs> South Carolina fans to me when I say that. Uh, but no, I, I am a, I am a Hootie guy. I'm a hootie truther, uh, so uh, it, it's been it's been great. Uh, I still, you know, listen to them from time to time to this day. You know, whether I'm driving over to the football facility in the car or whatnot. Um, so, yeah, no, uh, I, I'm I'm big on them for sure. That's the insider breakdown. Everybody came to this podcast <laughs> to get right there. I think Ryan's been to more than 150, haven't you? Uh, probably, yeah. I've never seen Hootie though. Yeah, never. Huh. Huh. Never seen Hootie. No. I would I would recommend it. They're they're a great live show. If you if you enjoy their music, oh, yeah, then, I don't think you would be disappointed with their show. I mean, you think nineties, you know, type of uh, stuff. Love love that. All right, Corey, we appreciate you uh, being with us, and I guess we will see you over uh, in Athens on Saturday. Sounds good. Appreciate you guys. Looking forward to uh, to spending some time in the press box with you guys.
All right, we thank Corey for joining us to talk Gamecocks. Ryan, you were mentioning Jacksonville State earlier. Um, yeah. Where, where do you stand on this big uh, proposal on the field after the game? Did you see that? <laughs> that guy, I mean, poor guy, right? I mean, you have this whole buildup. You think you're going to wallop Jacksonville yeah, State. Yeah, I mean, you do it because you're like, like, this is the one game. But, I mean, hey, it's your time, man. <laughs> you can't hold off anymore, right? I mean, or are you going to say, dang it, I'll t- hope hope we beat Clemson in three weeks. Uh, maybe I'll pull it off then. I mean, that's not happening. Right. You're, if you're doing it before the game, you can't be, you can't just call it off. Now, I might have called an audible and, you know, and been like, hey, why don't we uh, go down to the beach on, uh, or, on Sunday and I'll do it there. Or let, let's take a little walk around the stadium and <laughs> yeah. w- when these guys get off the field celebrating. We'll <laughs> yeah, it was an odd scenario. Yeah, I did see that he tweeted, though. Uh, <laughs> he retweeted, like, hey, here's our registry yeah, if y'all want to yeah. get us something. All right, but before we make our picks, a little bit more uh, looking back at uh, what kind of our takeaways from the uh, UAB game. Ryan, uh, Keely Ringo's interception, um, you know, was that a normal interception? Did he get up super high? Was that. He got up high, but it was handed on a silver platter, wasn't it? <laughs> I mean, that was a horrible throw. Yeah. So you're you're not on a scale of 1 to 10 on the interception. You're not overly impressed because of the. I mean, yeah. Look. Keeley Keeley's a playmaker, uh, I, I think. You know, it, so he had a little struggles against Clemson, but I mean, we're talking apples and oranges here between the two opponents. So, yeah. uh, but you know, I think that's a good sign. Get him, you know, get his feet wet there with his first interception. So, all right, no Devonte Wyatt, uh, which I didn't really even notice till after the game. Um, you know, when I went back to to watch it and looked at the participation chart, Kirby Smart said yesterday no injury. So yeah, you fishy. think is it a discipline issue? Um, you presume it's not COVID related um, because he was still on the sideline. Um, someone said though that you can be contact traced and still be there. I, I don't know. Um, but you know, I, I guess we gave more snaps for guys like uh, Nazir Stackhouse. Uh, <laughs> I just crack up thinking about his sack where he just pushed the guy. Did you see that? He just came in. Yeah, he lined he up. Didn't over even ta- tackle him. He just pushed him in the back. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And he just bowled his way in there. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, no, that was on the pressure. He had a pressure on the on the Lewis Sine interception. Came from the outside for the sack. Um, and what did he do afterwards? We, we ran a picture on the newsletter that came out. If you're not registered for the newsletter, get some some more um, insights. Uh, it comes out every Tuesday, Friday. But there was a picture. I think he was doing like a thing like maybe taking a nap, like he made the quarterback uh, go, go to sleep or yeah. something. I don't know. Uh, but there's a name to, to watch now. And um, It's just so deep. It's so ridiculous. Jordan Davis, uh, did you think he had that kind of speed to run from kind of, you know, the nose guard position, uh, runs to the sideline, puts on the Jets, tackles a quarterback, um, you know. Well, they say he runs a sub five, like yeah, four or eight. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's ridiculous. But to see 350 pounds or whatever he is moving like that is pretty impressive. And it was. You know, if he's a, you know, a, like a late first round pick or something, that's going to be the kind of clip that they pull out there to show his ability. Oh, to, absolutely. Yeah, you're going to see that a lot when he's drafted, right? Yeah. It looked like one of those things in like when you used to play NCAA and the, there'd be a glitch in the system and a big old defensive lineman run down your fast quarterback or something on the sideline. Um, are you worried about Jackpot Lesney yet? Nah, I mean, what is he two for four on the season? I feel yeah, like? maybe so. And of course, missed a couple the other day. But I mean, no, he didn't miss a couple. He missed one, right? No, he missed two, didn't he? Maybe, maybe you're right. I think it was one of two. You're probably right. But I mean, no, I'm not worried about it. The dude had uh, uh, brass. You know what? The other, uh, you know, in the bowl game last year when he hit a 53 yarder. So, I mean, I, I think. You know that's the good thing though about Georgia they got Zinkel which I, I guess uh, Zirkle, yeah Zirkle. I know, I know. Uh, which you know yeah, he's a 
as far as kickers go, is a five-star kicker coming out of Texas a couple years ago. So, I guess if you have to fall back on that, you know, give him a try or two. And well, he he wasn't one or two. I guess he was just zero for one. Right? They didn't make uh, a field goal. Fifty-six uh, is all touchdowns. Um, I th- guess thirty well, thirty-two yarder he missed. Okay. Okay. Well, you know, a little wide right. Um, Jalen Dumas Johnson. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a guy that. Um, video one of the EJ staffers put out during a scrimmage was him leaping up to make an interception over the middle. And then um, this time he uh, had a pick six down the sideline, stepped in and, and uh, right yep. into the passing route. And um, this guy's going to be, I mean, it's kind of mop-up time, but, you know, maybe this is kind of, you see a guy <laughs> like this making plays, you get him out there earlier. Hey, I mean, it goes back to what, you know, Kirby slash Saban has always preached, right? You know, get these guys in on special teams and, and get them some good time, you know, uh, early in the season or whatever and just keep, keep you know, building their, their confidence and their abilities and, and knowledge of, you know, your system and everything. And that's when they get to be, you know, a Jordan Davis as a senior. They're just dominating. So, uh, yeah, that was that was good to see. Who's number eight uh, for George defense? They all kind of run together. But anyway, he led uh, he led Dumas Johnson into the end zone there with his arms raised. Man, that was that was kind of funny to see. Number eight for the Georgia defense would be MJ Sherman. Oh, that's right. He had a he had a play. Uh, did he have a sack early in the game, or Something maybe so. he came out of nowhere and, and made a tackle? Man, that, those linebackers are so fast. Starting with Channing Tindall, I think. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm trying to think of. Uh, Somebody else that made a tackle on the sideline, uh, Marshall, uh, uh, you know, in front of George's bench was just just so so fast and so fun to watch. All right, George's longest run on uh, Saturday run was by Mr. Stetson Bennett. <laughs> uh, longest of his career. Running backs, um, Zamir White, 13-yard longest run, uh, Kendall Milton. Uh, wait, who did I just say? Yeah, Zamir White. Uh, Kendall Milton, 10. Kenny McIntosh, 12. James Cook, 14. Um, Kendall, 3.2 yards of carry. Um, other guys, 4.950. Um, are you worried that they're not getting to the second level much? Uh, or is it – I mean, my take is um, – I mean, I, I guess, you know, certainly you're without uh, Tate Ratledge at right guard. Yeah. Uh, you can still, you know – see if any of these tackles are ready yet to put out there and move Sawyer inside. But also, you're blowing out an opponent and maybe you've lost a little intensity. Well, I think uh, there's also a reason that these wide receivers are wide open, right? I mean, maybe they had some guys up to box. stop the run yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and you know, that's what leaves a fast guy like Arian Smith just blazing down the field. All right, before we make our picks, Ryan uh, wrote from the Athletic Board meeting on Friday late afternoon before the home opener. Mm-hmm. Come on, Georgia Athletics. Let's do that a little bit different time so I don't have to... Hmm. Were they all in town? Uh, Fully Field is going to be uh, getting uh, some expanded uh, seating probably by 2024. There, at least that's in the works. You wrote, you wrote something about the yeah, baseball I say, I'm sure they took a couple uh, years ago. What do, you, what do you recommend? I will that? say that... Uh, you want to just tear it up and go somewhere else. No, no, oh, no. Yeah. I love that spot. That's okay. a perfect spot. Right. But, I mean, yeah, it was a couple years ago watching the uh, college... Or not the College World Series, but, you know, the, uh, the NCAA tournament. And places like Mississippi State had 17,000 people out there, you know, in the outfield and everything. And, um, you know, if there's one thing that um, I think, you know, I've off off the record talked to players like, hey, you know, wouldn't it be nice to play in front of more people? And they're like, yeah, we could expand it. And I can't remember who the pitcher was a couple years ago, but he was like, we should expand this out and bring the fence in. We don't need the fence that deep, blah, blah, blah. But, uh, yeah, so I wrote a column shortly after that about how – 
Georgia needs to catch up with the times and hey, pack people in there. If they're bringing the fence in, have a little Fenway Park monster or something. Yeah, like that. that'd be cool. But I mean, you got you know you can you can fit a good. All right. Well, look here's, here's outfield the, bleachers out there. Uh, you know, between that and the tennis. Well, course. they weren't they weren't talking about the bleachers as well. The, so. They're going to be, I mean, it, that's part of the deal, but they also want to build uh, kind of indoor uh, player development spaces, uh, more batting cages, more uh, areas for, I think uh, I talked to Scott Strickland, he called it a pitching lab. That's kind of the uh, the term in college baseball where they already have the machinery for all these things, uh, you know, all these specialized uh, metrics, uh, you, know, the, you know, stuff that, that can pretty much break down every every angle of every pitch spin and that rate. kind of thing. Yeah, spin rate, all that stuff. But um, that will be underneath, and then the, the seating will be on top of it. And as usual with everything, as you see uh, in Sanford Stadium, as they're moving the press box in a couple of years uh, and putting in some luxury uh, seating with some big money, they're going to do the same in baseball. I mean, some of it's going to be you know, just general admission, and they want to bring in more student attendance there. I guess there's really not a spot for the students now that are just a student section. Uh, but they're going to also have even more of those uh, premium seats that, like they have uh, behind the home plate and stuff like that. So I don't know if it's going to – what is it now? It's like 2800 and then it can be up to 3200 or yeah. something. I mean, will this get it up to 5500 or 6000 I don't know. I mean, you're, if you're talking about like – You're talking about on the right field and left field. Yeah, lines. you have to expand out to there. But, I mean, what – I mean, tech, I think, is like – 5,500. Is know? it? I mean, like if that. you're doing premium spaces, you're not really as much interested in increasing, How many? increasing the attendance. It's it's increasing the revenue. Yeah, well, yeah, but you got to you gotta bring some How much is, I mean, I know this is kind of in the works for McGarity left, but how much is this Josh Brooks wanting to no, I mean, put his foot, you know, or Strickland, Strickland said that they were close to, you know, getting the ball rolling on this, and then COVID came in the yeah. pandemic. So, all right, let's do our picks because we're we're taking too long. Uh, Ryan, I uh, I know you had a better week than me, so congratulations Thank to you. you. I went five and seven. I'm now thirteen and fourteen. Ryan, what's your what's your overall record? Seven and five, sixteen and thirteen. That doesn't add up, does it? Yeah, I think so. Uh, it seven is the last number. Yeah, <laughs> seven and five, sixteen and thirteen. All right. Well, that doesn't Over. add up. Uh, that's what I got. We're going with it. All right, well, we'll have to rectify that because uh, that's not going to work <laughs> all season long. I guess we'll have to go by percentages then if we have that yeah, different. All right, here we go. Nebraska is at Oklahoma. Uh, Sooners favored by 22.5 points. This is a classic. Didn't Nebraska and Oklahoma used to play like in every Orange Bowl uh, back in the day? Yeah, it? you had a... Well, no, that was Miami and Oklahoma. Well, what... We, but Nebraska-Oklahoma is a classic Big 8 matchup, right? Uh, yeah. All right. Um, you know, Nebraska's... Uh, didn't, didn't they bounce back after that debacle against Illinois? Uh, I'm going to still take the Sooners, giving 22 and a half. Yeah, 22 and a half. Give me, give me Oklahoma, too. Are you writing down the – you're actually writing down your result? Yeah, because I can't I, – I don't want to go back and listen to myself do these. To <laughs> you, you, don't, you don't remember who you picked? No. All right, Cincinnati's at Army. The Bearcats are now the highest-ranked team in the state of uh, Ohio. <laughs> uh, the Ohio State, uh, taken down by Oregon. Um, Bearcats are by three and a half. I'm going to take Cincinnati. Um, at home. Say it again. At home. Uh, Cincinnati's at Army. Mmm, tricky one. Uh, yeah, give me Cincinnati. All right, Virginia Tech is at West Virginia. It's the Mountaineers by two and a half points. Um, West Virginia lost at Maryland. I know they. I think they came back, uh, but. I'm, uh, I'm believing in Virginia Tech after their big win over North Carolina. I'm going to take the Hokies. Yep, I am with you there on that. Give me Vatek. 
or Alabama is at Florida. Mm. Big CBS game. Uh, I guess it's on CBS. Or is it a night game? I don't even know. I don't know. I'm presuming it's on CBS. Um, I'm going to take the Gators getting the points. Uh, I know Saban was upset with how they performed against Mercer and was upset with how they practiced that week. I know Ryan thinks it's just a, uh, a chance for uh, uh, you know Saban to, to get his guys riled up. But, yeah. but Ryan's rolling his eyes. He is not agreeing with that pick. What's the line on it? 15 and a half. No, Alabama. Florida State's at Wake Forest. As we mentioned, the uh, Seminoles embarrassed, losing at home to Jacksonville State. But the Seminoles are getting five and a half at Wake Forest. I am seeing Jermaine Johnson, who I think has four sacks already this season, uh, inspiring the team in the locker room. I'm taking Florida <laughs> State, getting five and a half. Uh no, no. Give me, uh, give me Wake. I, that was just such an embarrassing loss the other day. Georgia Tech's at Clemson. The Tigers favored by 28 and a half points. Georgia Tech uh, must have had a good Waffle House breakfast before their game because they beat Kennesaw State. I'm gonna take the Tigers, giving 28 and a half. Yeah, I am too. I mean, that feels like a that feels like a show enough blowout. All right, Southern Cal's at Washington State. Trojans, you might have heard. Uh, no longer have uh, the same head coach. Helton, yeah. they, they fired Clay Helton two games into the season. And then they only lost to Stanford. I mean, that used to not be an embarrassment, right? I know. I know. I thought that too the other day when, uh, you know, after the game. I didn't realize how much USC was favored by. Trojans by eight and a half in this game. There's got to be some disarray in that program, but given that there's a coaching change. I'm taking Wazoo at home. Getting eight and a half. Yeah, that is tricky. Um I think USC, you know, remember when Orgeron took over a couple years ago, kind of lit a spark. Maybe uh, that'll do the same again. Give me USC. All right, Georgia Southern is at Arkansas. Razorbacks favored by 23 and a half. They just have to pay a $100,000 fine for <laughs> rushing the field, which I saw a video. Where I was going to say, did you see that? I, I saw the video. Yeah. They encouraged it. They didn't care. Or they knew, well, it, they knew it was coming. He said, you know, we'll, we'll yeah. take the fine. You, you know. know what? But it's really tough when you have a big win like that. So I'm taking the Eagles getting the points. I, I think Arkansas is obviously winning, but you know maybe to be 21 instead of 23. Yeah, yeah. I think you. I think that's a good call. No, no, no. no. You, you can't. You can't go. Nope. But I'm not trying to persuade you. Nope. I'm just telling you. No, no. I agree with you because that seems like perfect letdown territory, doesn't it? Mississippi State's at Memphis. The Bulldogs favored by three and a half. Um, I will. You know what? I've I've gone against Mike Leach too often, uh, so I'm going to trust him this time, and I'll, I'll take uh, Mississippi State. Well, that's your problem right there. That's that's where you're going to mess up. Give me Memphis. Virginia unbeaten against a weak schedule. They're going to North Carolina. Tar Heels by eight and a half points. I'm going to think Tar Heels are going to be uh, they're going to be protecting uh, Howell, Franklin Street, and Chapel Hill, uh, and, the, and the whole city. I and they're, about, like protecting their quarterback. They're going to they're going to win it. They're gonna, um, they're gonna. I'm gonna cover? take Tar Heels cover. Um, I don't know Virginia. You know they got a couple local kids uh, from around here. I'll, I'll pick them for that for that reason alone. Auburn's Auburn's at Penn State. This is uh, the great thing about all these um, matchups that are coming up in the next 10, 15 years. These are this is an exciting game. I mean, I like to see traditional powers, uh, SEC, Big Ten matchup. Nittany Lions by five and a half. Uh, Auburn has just shellacked these these teams that have been on their schedule, but they haven't played anyone really yet. I'm taking James Franklin and the Lions in State College. You know that area well, don't you? By five and a half. Yeah, you've, you've uh, lived up there before. Uh, nope, Auburn's going to go in there. I think uh, I don't think Auburn's too bad. And uh, I think they're going to go in there and, and give a good game. And if they don't win outright, they're going to cover. I believe Demetrius Robertson had like three touchdowns last week. Good for him. 
Uh, you know, get into a program where he can start, uh, you, know, uh, you know, get get something done. That's good. Tulane is at Ole Miss. Rebels by 14 and a half. I will take the Kiffins. Who are they playing, sir? Tulane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ole Misses. I need to double check what I, what I just said about Demetrius Robertson. Yep, three touchdowns according to uh, oanow.com. Nice. Good for Demetrius. Uh, this was against Alabama State. I think you should ask Kirby about him today. Uh, when you're, I kid. Nope. I kid. You, get, you get one shot on the Zoom, and I'm not, I'm not wasting it to ask. Uh, you know, maybe during Auburn week I'll do that. Stanford's at Vanderbilt. The Cardinals, we mentioned, uh, coming off their win over USC. Favored by 10.5 at Vanderbilt. You know what? Vanderbilt went to Colorado State and won. That, that, was, that was a good game. No. I'm taking Vanderbilt at home getting the points. No, Stanford. Hey, I bet if uh, they need to figure out quantum physics, these two programs could uh, get together and figure that out. Arizona State's at BYU. The uh, Sun Devils favored by three and a half. Um, I think that's good. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take Arizona State, given the points. BYU, big, uh, big uh, win in that state against Utah, Utah so uh, they'll be uh, due for a letdown. Nope, BYU riding that mo. All right, as we mentioned earlier, South Carolina, Georgia, in Sanford Stadium, 7 p.m. kick, 30 and a half points. Georgia favored by, that's a big number. Um, Georgia will win by four touchdowns, but I will take the Gamecocks getting the 30 and a half points. I don't think that South Carolina could beat UAB and Georgia beat UAB. I think South Carolina UAB would be a very good game. And, and Georgia beat UAB by 52, 50, 49, was it? So. I mean, you know, we can break down everything. You know, who who knows who's going to be starting at quarterback for either team? Uh, but when it's all said and done, man, this is this is a this is going to be just an absolute blowout. I mean, look, what was the score last year's game? Let me look at that again here. Yeah, it was fairly tight. From what I like, two touchdowns, maybe. Yeah, it was not that tight. Forty-five to sixteen. That's almost two touchdowns. Well, how many points did Georgia win that game by? The twenty-nine, I guess. Oh, there it is. It's thirty and a half is the number this time. Nope, nope. And and they're not as good as they were last year. Who isn't? South Carolina. Um, that South Carolina team that Georgia played then, I mean, as Corey, Corey mentioned, they were opt-outs. Yeah, yeah, uh, right. There were guys that, I mean, Muschamp had been fired. Bobo was running the show. But it, it felt like that that thing was just like, you know, continuing to fall apart. Okay, well, how about good. this? Georgia's got a better team than they had last year. Oh, they do. They do. So, give me Georgia to cover that by several points. All right, we will uh, wrap it uh, up now, and we'll be back next week to break it down with we'll the talk uh, about Georgia going on the first SEC road trip uh, then, and uh, maybe there'll be a good uh, post-game proposal by a Georgia player on the field. I don't know. And hopefully there's not dancing South Carolina players behind them, right? All right, we'll uh, talk to you all next time. See ya. So, John, question. With Auburn firing Gus Malzahn, it leaves Ed Ogeron as the SEC's only coach who has beaten Nick Saban. Who's going to be the next SEC coach to beat Saban? Well, I don't think he'll be the guy that a lot of people think he will be. Jimbo Fisher, Texas A&M. I like Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss. He almost beat Saban last year, and he almost beat Saban when he was at Tennessee. Fisher promised he was going to thump Saban's rump whenever Alabama comes to College Station. I think he's got a shot. He improved Texas A&M to 9-1 last year. He's got a national championship 
championship to his name. If Haynes King is the real deal, he's got an early opportunity in October to beat Nick Saban. Look at Saban's track record for losses. It's usually to a great quarterback, Cam Newton, Johnny Manziel, or Joe Burrow. Matt Corral at Ole Miss, I think, could be the best quarterback in the league. I'm Blake Topmeyer, and this is SEC Football Unfiltered, a new podcast from the USA Today Network. Each week, we'll discuss the hottest topics that matter to the passionate fan bases of the SEC. I've covered the SEC for eight years. As for my co-host, longtime sports columnist John Adams, let's just say he's got a few decades on me. Not as many decades as some people think. Contrary to popular opinion, I did not cover General Neyland, but I did interview Bear Bryant and I interviewed Nick Saban, and I covered Archie Manning and Peyton Manning. More insightful interview, John. Bear Bryant, Archie Manning, Steve Spurrier, or Johnny Majors? Gotta go with Steve Spurrier there. He's the great quipster. SEC Football Unfiltered debuts this summer. Let John and I be your tour guides from the season opener through the national championship. Subscribe and listen wherever you get your podcasts.